The Mac Observers, Mac Geek Gab, episode 892 for Monday, September 27th, 2021. Ah, Greetings, folks, and welcome to the Mac Observers, Mac Geek Gab, the show where you send in your questions, you send in your tips, you send in your cool stuff found. We bring some of our own tips, some of our own cool stuff found, and yes, even some of our own questions right here to the show, because the goal is we take all of those things, we mash them up into an agenda so that we can each, every one of us, me, you, that guy next to me here, I mean, virtually next to me, yeah, All of us can learn at least five new things every single week when we get together. Sponsors for this episode include Otherworld Computing with their new Envoy Pro SX. This is a cool thing. We will tell you about it. And Quip. We're at getquip.com slash MGG. You can save 10 bucks on a Quip Smart Electric Toothbrush. We will talk more about that, too, in a little while. For now, here in Durham, New Hampshire, I'm Dave Hamilton. And here in Fairfield, Connecticut, this is... John F. Brown. Yeah, man. So here we are. Another day. Another podcast. 892 episodes. It's crazy, man. It's crazy. I was thinking back to how different our lives were when we started this 16 and a half years ago. And like the iPhone wasn't even out. Crazy. Crazy. Mm. This episode, we've got stuff to talk about with iOS 15, right? Like that's a lot moving forward here, but it's good. Uh. And, uh, yeah, we've got all kinds of things to talk about, uh, quick tips and questions. And uh, we have that survey. Uh, many of you have filled it out and thank you for that. But, uh, if you haven't, we would love for you to go and fill out our listener survey. Not only does it, uh, allow you to, not, not only does it help us in learning who you are so that in aggregate, your data is not shared outside of the walls that we have here, but in aggregate, uh, we know who you are and that helps us with our sponsors and things like that. And then on top of that, uh, also in the survey are some questions specifically about the show that are not shared with our sponsors. That's just for me and John so that we can like keep making the show better. So go fill out the survey and we are giving out a $50 Amazon gift card to every batch of hundred people who fill out the survey. But you have to use our link and then also choose Mac Geek Gab as the show that sent you there. It's a little bit of a sanity check. Actually, it's a, it's a little bit of a security check because there's some fraudsters out there that want to, you know, fill out the survey 50,000 times so that they can get, you know, their Amazon gift card. No Amazon gift card for them. No, no, because they don't know the trick. They didn't listen to the show. You did. Links in the show notes. MacGeekGab.com slash survey is where you can go if you don't want to look at the show notes. But if you do go to MacGeekGab.com, you can sign up to get the show notes delivered to your inbox every single week so that you don't have to worry about missing them. <sighs> How are you today, Mr. Brown? Eh. Eh. Just eh? No? Not good? Well, I think it'll get better later. I, I got some toys delivered. Oh, same. Yeah. While we're recording this, it's like, uh, well, it's happy birthday to me, isn't it? My iPad and my new iPhone and Lisa's new iPhone will get delivered. So we have all those things to test out. Yeah, I know. I'm stoked. But we don't have those yet because we record this on Fridays. So uh, we will go with the quick tips 
and we will go from there. Lawyer Jeff brings us in to this. Lawyer Jeff says, uh, Apple has a knowledge base article that shows you how to back up and then also restore slash import a P list containing all of your Mac and iOS tech substitutions. So if you're getting a new phone or if you just got a new phone and you're starting from scratch, uh, but you, and especially if you have to wipe out iCloud and these things sometimes get wiped out in iCloud, you can go do this on your Mac and then repopulate them on your Mac and then it'll push it out through iCloud. And the way you do it is you go to the Apple menu system preferences, keyboard text. I know it's weird. And then, uh, you can select all the replacements you want to export, including edit, select all, and then you just drag them to the desktop and that will create a backup file named text substitutions.plist. And then you can even edit that file with text edit. So this is like super geeky stuff if you really want to get into it, which I love. So, and then, uh, and then to bring them back in, you, uh, you know, you just uh, drag them back in from the text pane and you're good to go. Oh. So you can, yeah, filter right. down. I know. It's great. Yep. So if you're ever having, I, I have a feeling this is going to be something we now use as a troubleshooting step, John, because there are times when those things will not sync, right? Like the text substitutions don't sync across. Well, now that we know how to back them up, which I think maybe has been there before and we just didn't know it. This is what I love about learning at least five new things every time we get together because we get to learn too. And, uh, you know, you could back them up, wipe them out, make sure they're wiped out on all your devices, do the hokey pokey with the syncing and all that, and then bring them back in and, uh, you know, maybe start, start anew. So yeah, I like it. Good. All mm-hmm. right, cool. Uh, let's see. Listener Todd has the, Oh, what a great little tip from listener Todd. Yeah. So, uh, you know, you take a screenshot on the on the phone, right? And then you see it there, and then you go and edit it, and you can say done and delete screenshot, right? Todd points out quite correctly, says, did you know that uh, when you tap delete screenshot, that image goes to the recently deleted album in photos? I did not know this until just recently. He says, good to know in case one thought it was actually never saved on your device once you tapped delete screenshot of course you can go in to photos and go to recently deleted and permanently delete something if there was say a screenshot that included sensitive information or you know something you just didn't want to have uh, in your library and so uh, but good to know I, I like there's no warning about that i i kind of like that there's this backup but it it's nice now nicer now that i know it so now you know it too i love this Two quick tips. I learned at least two things, John. So we're, we're going we're gonna to yeah. be out of here in like a minute. Great. Here's one thing I didn't know. Uh, a friend of mine alerted me to this. Uh, did you know that your voicemail can get full? Uh, which voicemail? Uh, on the phone. It, uh, is it your carrier's voicemail that's getting full or is it the iPhone's voicemail that's getting full? Um, my both, I guess. Okay. Right. It was in the voicemail cab because no a friend of mine said, yeah, I tried to leave you a message and it said your voicemail was full. I'm like, really? Interesting. So went to my, <clears throat> went to that category and yeah. threw everything in the trash and emptied it and that fixed that. So 
So, and you went to that category in the phone app? You went to that tab? Yes. Okay. Yeah. So voicemail. And then, yeah, they're there. And you'll see deleted and blocked as well. But um, yeah. But I think that we delete them. Yeah, it goes to the deleted messages and just for uh, so a similar thing. Um, I don't think it actually deletes them. So go to deleted messages and yeah. delete them from there as well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So it's like a two-step process. Cool. All right. Yeah, good to know. Right, yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't use Apple's visual voicemail. I I like to get emails when I get voicemails. So I use Google Voice. Yeah. I have a Google Voice number that. Um, I there's like a little incantation you type into your phone and then your phone will forward, you know, off to Google voice when, uh, when it, it can't do its thing with voicemail and, or with, you know, when you don't answer a call, it can't do its thing. It can't do its thing. Cause you haven't answered the call. So it sends it off there. But, um, so I just get them in Google voice and I suppose that could fill up too. If you, mm-hmm. you know, you hit your 15 gigs or whatever. So yeah. Interesting. 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 Good to know. Nice tip. Uh, you want to take us to Tony? I will take us to Tony. So we were recently talking about the iPad and should you get it with cellular or not? And Tony gives us a good reason why you should. So if you can afford to buy the cellular version of the Apple Watch, even if you don't want to add a data plan, the reason is this in Series 5, cellular watches can call emergency services, even if there is no cell plan. Further, they will make so through. They will do so through any tower that can see them. So, for the extra money, you'll be able to get an emergency call when you have no working phone. For example, when you just dropped it in the lake or forgot it at home. Interesting, <clears throat> huh? Oh, that's I, yeah. Because I never quite. I mean, actually, I've understood on the watch more than the iPad. You know, if you're if you're just using the watch for you know workouts and stuff, and you're riding your bike or running or something, and you don't want to bring a phone with you. Having, you know, a cellular radio with you could be worthwhile, but then you're paying the extra whatever, 10 bucks or whatever your carrier chooses to charge you for that, um, for that device. But you don't have to do that if all you want is emergency calls. I like it. Yeah. And you usually get better resale value. Um, Is it percentage wise better? Like, does it, does its value preserve? I mean, of course it'll be higher because you paid more. Right. But, but is, you know, is that, is that a truth? I don't know. I don't know. All right. Um, Andrew reminds us, well, he was asking about the podcast app and he was having some trouble with it. And he said, really, all I want is to run overcast on my Mac. And then it hit me. I was because I was typing an answer to him. I'm like, yeah, I know. Like, wait, I want that, too. But you know what? I can because with uh, what does Apple call it? Uh, A catalyst mode or Project Catalyst, I guess it's not a mode. Project Catalyst lets you run some iPhone apps and iPad apps on your Apple Silicon-based M1 Max. And Overcast is absolutely one of those. In fact, Overcast now uh, added some features kind of specifically for people running them on the Mac. You can open up multiple windows and do some different things in uh, Overcast, which is a podcast player. It's a great one, too. So uh, I found that very interesting that, uh, you know, like, think about that. If you have a favorite app on iOS, go check it out on on the Mac. It's it's easy to forget. Now, there are some apps which will not run, are built not to run. And it is 100 percent a decision of the developer. They can check a box or not check a box to allow it 
to be run on the Mac. There used to be a way using iMazing to slurp the IPA file out of the app store keyed to you. So you wouldn't want to share these. And then uh, when you double click the IPA file on your Mac, it will offer to install the app. And that's still very true. I tried that with the Facebook app because I know that's one that isn't allowed for download on the Mac in the app store. And it went all the way through the process. And when it got to the end, it said, oh, this app isn't provisioned to run on the Mac. You can't install it. So they've plugged that hole yet again, at least in the latest version of Big Sur. Uh, I didn't try it on my uh, Monterey beta Mac, but I, I think uh, the same would be true. So sadly, oh, well, uh, but I'll put a link in the show notes to the instructions as to how to do that. So thank you for the reminder, Andrew. And uh, yet another reason why I, you know, and I think I, I was going to say yet another reason to get an M1 Mac. Like I, I think give it five years and Intel Mac based apps will be few and far between. I think there's going to be a lot of, you know, that makes a lot of sense, right? Develop just cross platform on M one. And then, I mean, it's not really cross platform except it is it's cross device type, I guess. Um, so I, I can see that as, as our future here, we're not there yet. No panic. As you're considering your next purchases, I think M1 is the way to go for for a variety of reasons. And this is just yet another one. So. Ah, all right. Where are we here? What else are we doing, John? Oh, more quick tips. Golly. It's like we're full of quick tips today. Michael uh, brings us a quick tip. He says the Siri button, which is on the side of the new Apple TV remote that comes with the Apple TV 4K, will now launch HomeKit scenes. He says, I wondered if it did, and it did. So very cool. Good little quick tip. I don't have one of those remotes. I am I, I don't know what device I'm going to be using to watch TV. Like the, the, the apps for things like, well, YouTube TV is pretty good on my TV. Fubo is awful on my TV, and it's pretty good on Apple TV. So I don't know where we standardize these things. I don't know. It's crazy. But good to know. Thank you for that, Michael. Hmm. It didn't work on mine, but then that's probably because I don't think I have any HomeKit scenes. So, uh, so that's one thing. Did you update the software to the latest and greatest that mm-hmm. came out this week on your Apple TV? Okay, and you have the new Siri remote on your. Um... Oh, maybe not the newest. I yeah, mean, I have an Apple TV 4K. Okay, the newer one. I think it's just the new one. Does it have the the Siri button on the side? Mm-hmm. Oh, then you have uh, it. Well, on the left, not, not on the side of the remote. But this on. is the one that literally on the side of the remote. Oh, yeah, okay. yeah, yeah, yeah. It's a different, it's a, the, they mm-hmm. call it the Siri remote, right? And um, well, if my, if my computer will work, yeah, it's silver. Uh, it has the D pad at the top. Um, so uh, there's a link in the show notes if, if you want to see it and you can, I mean, you can get one for uh, 60 bucks if you want to add it I, I think it'll work with your existing apple tv so if you mm-hmm. if you care for it and you don't want to have the glass shattered device <laughs> the, that apple tried to ship to us <laughs> long ago oh, stupid all right uh where are we here speaking of apple devices that you can add oh, we have some discussions to have about the new uh well the the new magic keyboard We'll start with some quick tips from listener Steven. Uh, he says uh, two tips. There is no CD or DVD eject button, but 
I used Keyboard Maestro to program F19 because who uses F19 to run drutil tray eject? And we will put that in the show notes. Drutil tray eject, uh, and that way it ejects the uh, the SuperDrive's DVD, which is great. Yep, cool. And number two, he says the Magic Keyboard uh, keyboard for me refused to connect after reboot. I had no trouble setting it up, including the secret handshake of tapping the power button on the M1 Mac Mini twice to create the secure connection so that Touch ID and all that works. He says uh, uh, on the next and subsequent reboots, though, the keyboard would not connect wirelessly. I plugged it in via USB and it was fine. The solution to this problem, and this is the second part of the quick tip, was to option shift click the Bluetooth menu item and select our favorite little thing there, John. Reset the Bluetooth module. I've rebooted twice since I did the reset and repaired the keyboard and all has been fine. Thank you for that, Stephen. I love when I love that. I love those little things like I know about the reset Bluetooth module. I that was not in my mind as I was reading through his problem. And so it needs to be I need to make that more front of mind because that's an easy fix for lots of different Bluetooth problems. So. All right. Uh, shall we stick with the, uh, shall we stick with the keyboard thing and, and move on to cool stuff found John? Sure. Sure. All right. Uh, Bruce says, uh, I, I was behind in my listening. So I'm going all the way back to 877 when you were talking about a user's problem with logging in that might be having a Bluetooth problem to the keyboard, similar to the last thing it says, uh, the conversation then went on to keyboards. One of you stated that you don't think Apple makes a keyboard that uses a wired connection. I think that was me that made that statement. Since the other day, I was thinking about getting the new keyboard with the Touch ID to connect to my M1 Mac Mini. And he says, I thought I had read that it came with a cable. And sure enough, it does. The regular Magic Keyboard also comes with the lightning to USB cable, kind of like, you know, you can plug in a trackpad or whatever. You got to charge it. Uh, the tech specs for both list the connectivity via Bluetooth, lightning port, and wireless. So you, so you should be able to use them in a wired configuration. Very, yes, very, very good point. Uh, there are times when I run my uh, Magic Trackpad wired because it gets funky with, uh, it like, I don't know, if I've got some device interfering, probably some, you know, USB hard drive because that tends to be what would interfere. I just plug it in. Everything's fine. Or if it needs to be charged, I plug it in. And then it's like a week later when I realize, oh, I could unplug that. And the only time I unplug it is if I need to like plug my phone in or something. So I would say my trackpad is probably plugged in half the time down in the office and works fine. Obviously works better. In fact. So yeah, fun. I don't know. Right. Sure. Sure. Yeah. It's cool that you can do touch ID with the M1 Max, it's got some, they've got some, you know, handshake, super secret handshake that lets you do touch ID with the magic keyboard, even though it's wireless, which um, I'm, I, because I have an Apple watch, I really haven't had the overwhelming like frustration that would lead me to buying that keyboard. But I do need a new keyboard in the office. My venerable Logitech's and I say Logitech's because I've had, friends over the years that used the exact same Logitech keyboard. It was like cordless keyboard and mouse. That was the name of the model. This goes back like 15 years. It uses its own wireless thing. It's to call it a dongle is kind, 
it's a big puck that like has, you know, a big cable that plugs in USB and then it connects wireless. It's flaky. Um, and, you know, like I can't I, I think I'm on my last one. They tend to wear out, but people had given them to me over the years, like, you know, used or whatever. And so I just keep swapping new ones in. But I need to get a new keyboard. I like uh, here in the podcast studio, obviously, I have to use a, a quiet keyboard. So I use Apple's. Um, it's wired, but, you know, so that when I type, it doesn't clack, clack, clack in your ears. Um, but downstairs in the office, I, I, I've i always had like a, you know, a, a clackety keyboard. And I kind of like that. So I don't know what keyboard to get. Maybe you can tell me. Feedback at MacGeekab.com. Did you say feedback at MacGeekab.com? I said feedback at MacGeekab.com. And that's where I want. I want to hear about it. Unless you're a premium subscriber. And then by all means, premium at MacGeekab.com. We'd love to hear from you. All right. Maybe the uh, Logitech Solar Keyboard, which is what I have here. It's pretty quiet, right? Uh, I, yeah, I guess. I don't need a quiet keyboard in the office, though. <laughs> mm-hmm. I can get away with uh, with loud down there. So, um, Is that the K750 or something? Solar something like that, powered yeah. keyboard for Mac? I will put it in the show notes for us. Oh, nice. Um, Oh, interesting. So it's got like, uh, oh, I see it there. It kind of looks like the Apple keyboard, right? Yeah, I like one with keys that travel a nice long distance. Like hmm. that that one's that one's more like a laptop, right, John, where the keys mm-hmm. are just like right yes. there. Well, it says it's uh oh, as low as 55.99, but we can't recommend it. I'm taking the I'm taking the uh the link out. It's no longer available. So if you have a keyboard recommendation, folks, that actually is available that we can buy, let us know. Yeah, really. um, I'm sure they've updated it. Oh, well, never maybe, mind. Not, maybe not I, if you, yeah, if anybody knows about it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I just like the solar aspect. So is yeah. yours, um, man, even the black one is in, uh, is on back order, which I hmm. think tells me that, yeah, it's just discontinued. That's too bad. Oh, well. Oh, well, well, if anybody knows, let me know. Anything else on keyboards, John? Nope. All right. Uh, you want to, uh, you want to take us to Bill? Uh, yes. Um, so Bill wrote in and said, Bill here from Pixel Privacy. I guess that's his website. Cool. I noticed you shared the what is my browser tool recently. Uh, and I thought I'd share something your visitors, visitors, visitors might find useful. Easy for you to say. I created a guide to browser fingerprinting. Uh, and we'll link to that article. And I'm not going to read the article to you. But basically, um, he goes through uh, something called browser fingerprinting. So if you go to what is my browser, um, you'll see a lot of information that the, the, the website can detect about you. Um, and then his article has a couple of other tools that show, um, quite a bit more, but, um, one thing that some sites will do is create a fingerprint out of all that information. And what can you do with that fingerprint? Well, a website could in theory tell that, oh, John's back again because I fingerprinted him and took all that information that his browser threw at me. And, um, and it's the same. So. Uh, he also talks about ways to thwart that. And I think Safari uh, does some of this or may do some of this. Yeah. I mean, I think it came up when we were talking about 
the fact that Safari, you know, advertises its, uh, its browser identifier string says like Catalina or something like that, even all the way through mm. Big Sur. And I, I think part of that is to obfuscate who you are, right? You, you know, because mm-hmm. he's right. You, it, you know, a profile can be built based on things like your browser identifier and your IP address and all of these mm. things together could become close to something unique that without saying you're you says you're you. However, with iOS 15 and soon to come in Mac OS Monterey, right? We have iCloud private relay, which will also further obfuscate those things because it changes your IP address to be coming from one of the egress servers. That's part of iCloud private relay. That is a hundred percent in use. If in Safari with known web trackers, and then if you pay for an iCloud subscription, it's also in use in Safari for all your other browsing. But known web mm-hmm. trackers are blocked even if you don't pay Apple a thing, which is – or not blocked, sorry, obscured. Mm-hmm. That's a good thing. I like it. Yeah, that's fun, man. Good stuff. Good, good. All right. Uh, John, I have some show and tell to do here and then, uh, and then maybe we'll talk about our, our sponsors and, uh, and then we'll talk about the, 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 some of the new things in, in the 15s. Let's just say that because there's some 15s coming to us. So the, um, I, I've recently been playing with a bunch of new, uh, chargers and charging devices. And so I figured, why not just pull them all together and tell you about it? So the first are from uh, a brand that is called Infinity Lab, but it's a Harman product, right? So the the people that make like JBL and all those things now have this line of chargers. And I kind of, they're these white things. So if you're watching the video, you'll see them. They have a good textured feel to them. The, um, I've got a a gallium nitride uh, 65 watt charging brick it's got sort of, uh, you know, universal power connectors so that you can use it in different countries and things like that. Um, you know, you just you, you, it comes with a few different ones and you put it on and it's got both a USB-C port as well as a USB-A port. Of course, the USB-C port is fully capable of power delivery up to that full 65 watts on this one. It's 50 bucks for this uh, little thing here. And it's, you know, like I said, it feels nice in the hand. It looks nice. It's not just your kind of, you know, plain white, plain black kind of thing. And then the other thing that I've got from them is a 10,000 watt uh, battery pack. However, it is a th- or 10,000 milliamp hour, not 10,000 watts. That would be mm-hmm. way too much power. I'm sorry. <laughs> 10,000 milliamp hour. <laughs> I would have loved to see the feedback on that. Uh, 10,000 milliamp hour uh, battery pack. It is a in the shape of, a, you know, kind of a flat uh, thing, like in the shape of a phone. And it has a cheap pad in it. And then it also has a USB-C port for both in and out. So for, you know, charging or uh, or or charging itself or charging out a USB-A port. And then it's also got they have two models of this. It's got a the one I have has a USB-C cable built right into it. Nice. But you can also get one with a lightning cable built right into it. And here's the thing. It provides 30 watts of power delivery. So this 10,000 milliamp hour pack can help to give my laptop some extra juice. And that is a wonderful thing. So I like, and it's lightweight. Like it's, you know, it, it, this is, 
I, I need to play with this more, but this might become like my solo, you know, this can live in my uh, laptop case and not weigh it down like a brick and yet still be there to give my laptop like a little bit of extra juice when necessary. The next thing is from Base US. This is a little bit more traditional uh, of a charger. It's a black wall brick, but it the um, the the plug folds in. So it's it's nice and tidy when you're not using it. It has but a single USB-C port, but it is power delivery and runs up to 100 watts. So and it's 50 bucks, which, you know, again, like I love that these things are happening. I love gallium nitride. I love all of that. And then finally, perhaps, well, certainly saving the smallest for last, Anchor has their Nano Pro chargers out now. And these are the tiniest little thing. Uh hmm. Yep, it is about the size of, you know, like the little uh, charger that comes in your iPad case or whatever. It will do uh, 30 watts, I believe. They they come in different sizes. I can't read this because I'm, you know, half blind. It's the problem with getting older, John, is uh, you can't read the tiny little thing. So I'm looking it up. It's 20 watts. I'm sorry. 20 watts. So perfect for your fast charging, your iPads and all that stuff. And they now come in colors. So this one is, I don't know how good the, the color representation is if you're watching the video, but this one that I got is, uh, is well, a purplish color. What do they call it? Cool lavender. And I would, I would say that that is exactly the right description for this. They also have black ice, arctic white, and glacier blue. So kind of matching maybe the colors that we're seeing on some of the new iPhones. And these would fast charge your new iPhones 13. So uh, 20 bucks for 20 watts. And it's they, they call it the Anchor 511 charger, the Nano Pro. Wouldn't it be nice if you could get one of these with two USB-C ports on it? Stay tuned to see if maybe they have something like that coming. All right. That's what I got for uh, for chargers. Any thoughts on any of those, John? <clears throat> nope. Nope. All right. Well, uh, if it's all the same to you, Mr. Braun, I'd love to talk about our two sponsors next. Ah, let's go. All right. Our first sponsor for today is Otherworld Computing. Today, we get to talk about their new Envoy Pro SX. This is a Thunderbolt bus-powered portable SSD that is not only super fast, which, of course, you probably already knew just from the other words I've already said, but it's super durable. This thing is a beast. They sent me one of these to, to test out. And it, it's like, you know, it, it's a great little size, totally versatile, great to be used as your bus power drive for daily storage and backup tasks. It can handle all your workflows that you would need. And like I said, speed, real world performance speeds. I'm getting upwards of 2,800 megabytes per second. I know it's crazy, right? It's it's comes from the Envoy Pro EX's line. It's just a third smaller, right? It's crazy how they, it's. I, I love what Otherworld Computing does there, and the, I love the way that they do it. Right? They just make things easy, fast, reliable. They look good. I don't know. It's just it's it, it. This has one of those Aura SSDs inside it, so you know that they're you know that it's fast. Uh, 
it's fanless, which we love, especially those of us that are using like, you know, an M1 Air, totally fanless. We like having a fanless world. Comes with OWC's three-year limited warranty. And of course, comes with an included Thunderbolt cable, plugs into your uh, Thunderbolt and USB 4 Macs and PCs and all that good stuff. You got to go check it out. Go to Other World Computing at MacSales.com. Again, this is the Envoy Pro SX. Such a great little piece of hardware. It is little. Got to check it out. Our thanks to Other World Computing at MacSales.com for sponsoring this episode. Next up is Quip. You know, we love how technology can improve our lives. I mean, it, it's what we talk about here. And. This next sponsor definitely fits into our cool stuff found category because not only is it cool tech, but the way that it all sort of integrates into your life is even cooler. In fact, because when's the last time you got rewarded for brushing your teeth? And that's what Quip is here for with their smart electric toothbrush. Good habits can earn you great perks like free products, gift cards, and more. The Quip Smart Brush for both adults and kids connects to the Quip app on your phone with Bluetooth. And you can track when and how well you brush. You can get tips and even coaching to improve your habits. You can earn points for daily brushing. And like I said, bonus points for completing challenges like streaks and things like that. And then redeem them for rewards like free products or gift cards or discounts from Quip and their partners. And if you already have a Quip, because I know a lot of you do, you can upgrade it with a smart motor and keep the features you know and love. Sensitive sonic vibrations, two-minute timer with 30-second pulses for a guided clean. I like it. Slim, lightweight, and sleek. No wires or bulky charger to weigh you down. This is such a cool thing. You can get like mint or watermelon toothpaste with anti-cavity ingredients for strong, healthy teeth. They've got floss that expands to clean and comes in a refillable dispenser to reduce waste. You've got to check it out and you can join over 5 million mouths who use Quip. Start getting rewards for brushing your teeth today. Go to getquip.com slash MGG right now to save $10 on a Quip smart electric toothbrush. That's $10 off a smart electric toothbrush at getquip.com slash MGG. Spelled G-E-T-Q-U-I-P dot com slash MGG. Quip, the good habits company. And our thanks to Quip for sponsoring this episode. All right, John, let's talk 15s. Let's start with Safari uh, because Safari 15 just came out for the Mac this week. And I think this was a really smart move of Apple to get this, you know, very commonly used tool updated ahead of people getting Mac OS Monterey, right? There's going to be other changes with Monterey. Let's, let's, let's do, let's shift the time shift, the Safari one so that, you know, people can get used to this and, and sort it out before jumping into Monterey proper, uh, of course, you don't have to update to Safari 15. You can you can stay on 14, at least for a little while. But uh, I took my main Mac. I have not taken the Mac here in this studio up to 15 yet, because I always kind of wait for the studio Mac a little bit anyway. And uh, especially when we rely on it for, you know, things like doing the show. I, you know, there's the there's an obvious change to the way tabs are handled. And if you are someone that has lots of tabs open all the time, this is going to be jarring. Uh, Apple, I would say even more so than with iOS, uh, Safari on the Mac really changes because on iOS, 
on iPad OS, you can see your tabs out there, but on iPhone, you're really only looking at one tab at a time. So you might have, you know, hundreds of them open in the background, but they are in the background, right? You know, and I, and, and actually with iOS 15, they get a little more foregrounded, but still you're only seeing one at a time on the Mac. You know, you are seeing all of your tabs or most of them, many of them open all the time. And this changes things. Uh, just the way tabs are represented in the bar. The standard view is that things are separate, right? I think if we go, so I brought my laptop up so that I could have Safari here. But if you go to Safari preferences and go to general, uh, sorry, tabs, Safari preferences, tabs, not general. And uh, you have compact or separate. And what they're, what that defines is whether or not the tabs and the URL bar are in the same line vertically or in two separate lines vertically. So on a laptop where you have even less vertical space than you might on, you know, like a larger screen, you might want to try compact to see how you like having things really packed in, but it does get really packed in. And uh, I'm not sure I can live with that even on my 13 inch laptop. Like I might have to give up the extra whatever you know, 40 pixels at the top or whatever it works out to be. I like, I mean, it's a lot like, like that's, you know, that's what maybe mm, one eighth of the one fifth of the screen maybe or so like, I don't know. We can, I can do the math. I'll do the math so that we, we know how much of the screen it's taking up, but still, uh, so it's 876 pixels top to bottom. And that little bar is, uh, 36 pixels. So yeah, right. You know, that's uh, about 4% of the screen. So there you go. Uh, I, that said, I am, I am finding it fairly easy to migrate my thinking and, and muscle memory over to Safari 15 on the Mac. But I don't keep hundreds of tabs open. I might keep a dozen tabs open at any point in time. How, is, how has this been going for you, John? Um. No difference, really. I'm like, oh, okay. Visually, it's a little different. Sure. And, um, and yeah, they do some color matching with the page that you're on, which I kind of noticed. Yeah. But other than that, you know, uh, I hit the same keys and the same thing happens visually. So yeah, I'm okay with it. Yeah. Yeah. I I I, I agree. Right. It functionally, it's the same. Now there are tab groups. So if you are someone who uses tabs in sort of functional ways as opposed to just like letting it be the dump zone. Uh, tab groups can be, I can see where that would be a very useful thing. And I might, you know, I might come back in a month and, and be like, Oh my gosh, I can't believe I was never using tab groups before you need to hear about this. And then I'll tell you about it. Uh, for me that it, it has never been a thing using things that way. So I, I need to get into a workflow where perhaps it is, and, you know, so we'll see. Have you messed with tab groups at all, John? They do sync across devices. No. Okay. All right. And I think that's part of the other other reason that we have Safari 15 out is so that if you're using tab groups on your iPhone or iPad, you can sync hmm. them and actually take advantage of the syncing with your Mac. So I'm oh, curious. Okay. What's that, John? No, I'll, I'll have to check that out. Yeah. I didn't know that it. Oh, yeah. No. Yeah. It goes across devices. Yeah, it goes across devices. Yep. So I'm I'm curious if you folks let us know feedback at MacGeekUp.com. Uh, 
in the realm of things that I'm going to come back a month later and say, oh my gosh, you have to check this out. iOS 15's focus. I'm glad I revisited it. Uh, I, it was really at the, not at the urging, but just at the, as a description from my son who is a college student, right? He's out there actually at Reed college where, where Steve jobs went for five minutes. And, uh, <laughs> and it, you know, it's a very rigorous academic school. Uh, he has lots of work to do as many colleges do. And he is one of those people who uses an iPad for pretty much everything, for school, you know, it's it's rare that he has a book. Most of them he just has uh, either, you know, from the professor or you just find a PDF of the book on his iPad. He uses notability or sometimes even notes with his Apple pencil. And like that is his his schoolwork device unless he's on his laptop. Right. And one thing he always hated was how difficult it was to tell his iPad not to bother him. While he's using it, right? So do not disturb is sort of on iOS prior. This is prior to iOS 15. Do not disturb is sort of great for if your device is off, it not like waking up and, and disturbing you. But if you are using your device, notifications still appear, like all of those things just still happen. And you have to go into the preferences and, you know, or settings rather and disable notifications and all of that stuff. And he said it was just this multi-step process so much so that he just left his iPad in do not notify me or bother me about anything ever mode because I use this as a tool and I need to stay focused. Well, you can bet that now that focus is a thing, man, he was like, this is amazing. And he created a a focus for schoolwork. And you do this on your iOS devices by going into uh, settings and then go to focus. And they have a few created there for you. Uh, but then you can add more with the little plus sign in the corner and do, you know, whatever you want. But the, the, you know, the cool thing is there's so much granularity here. This, this does not feel like a gen one Apple feature. And if we think about its evolution from do not disturb, then really it isn't a Gen 1 Apple feature. It's a, you know, it's a Gen 2 or Gen 3 even, depending on kind of how you how you choose to look at the lineage. But you get to pick which people can notify you. You get to pick which apps can notify you. And even if you don't choose an app, you can also allow time sensitive notifications to come through. But only time sensitive notifications if you want. Right. And and then you can pick, you know, how you you can pick groups of people if you want your contacts to be able to call you or not. Uh, you can pick whether the home screen shows you things or not. This is helpful in sleep mode so that when you pick up your phone to check the time or something, you're not just seeing a laundry list of all your notifications. In fact, set up the right way, which is fairly easy in focus your notifications can change from being a push scenario to a pull scenario, right? So that the notifications come in, but you are not actually notified of them until you go to notification center and in notification center, you'll see a little grouping of here's all the notifications that you've missed. And then you can tap into that and pull them out and see them. So it, it becomes this far for me, better scenario of managing when I'm going to triage these things, because if I'm in, you know, if I'm trying to do something and I'm having to triage notifications as they show up, that can be really distracting. 
hence the term focus, right? So I created one for podcasting and the only people I've allowed to text me when I'm in the podcasting group and I desperately want this to sync with my Mac are my family and you, John, and Shannon Jean, who I, with whom I co-host the business small business show, and Paul Kent, with whom I co-host Gig Gab, because if something happens in the show and you need to text me, I want to see it, but I don't want to see text from everybody else. So that level of granularity becomes super handy. And then, and this is even cooler, like with the sleep focus. Oh, sorry, not with the sleep focus. I created one for reading, and I can have the reading focus automatically turn on. Whenever I launch specific apps, so the books app or the Kindle app or both apps can be on when, you know, for reading when it wants to come on. And it's really only when the app is in front. So, you know, you don't have to go and like quit the app in the background. As soon as the app is no longer the frontmost app, the reading one goes away. And I noticed I, cr- I set up a sleep one, John. I had used Apple sleep tracking in the past and it like the whole bedtime thing. And it was a. I found it to be a disaster. It was far too limiting. You could only have one schedule and it had to have an alarm and all of this stuff. Now you can have a different schedule for every day. You can tell it not to wake you up with an alarm um, and it can automatically kick in and off at certain times and that sort of thing. And it does the whole like it automatically, you know, the preset hides your notifications and all that stuff, which is awesome. But I was in. The sleep notification as I was reading before bed on my iPad last night. And of course, as soon as I brought up Kindle, the the reading, uh, uh, you know, uh, focus mode kicked in. And when I moved out of Kindle, I was curious what would happen. It moved back to sleep mode. So it didn't forget where it should be otherwise, which I thought was pretty cool. So I, I, there's power here, and it's really not a confusing thing to use, hopefully, especially now that you've heard about someone else's use cases. Mine won't be yours necessarily, but hopefully now that that helps. I don't know. Have you messed with focus at all yet, John, or no? No. Okay. But I'll tell you the thing I did mess with. Dave. Yes, sir. So I was pleasantly surprised. So I was out and about, <clears throat> and um, so I have an air tag in my car, and I have an air tag on my keychain, and of course I bring my phone with me everywhere because don't we all? Um, so it's funny, so I went to this one place, went inside, did my shopping, and then got out, and then looked at my phone, and I got a notification, Dave. Time sensitive, John's Saturn left behind. The item is no longer detected near you. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, that's pretty cool. That's good, yeah, right. So what you get now in the Find My app, So for certain devices, and this is the key, and it may apply to a question we'll have in a moment, um, but there's now a new field, um, notify when, no, 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 that's not it, sorry. Uh, Let me find something here. Um, Okay, items, uh, there we go. Okay, notify when left behind. Um, Okay. Normally it's on except at one location. So it has a condition. And what it does by default is it knows your home. And so as long as the device stays there, you're not going to get this notification. I got this notification because the devices were not home. They were at someplace else. And actually it gave the address of the the place I was at, the stop and shop that I was at. Okay. Okay. So it's pretty neat. So it'll, and then I, uh, and then, 
exploring a question that we may or may not get to, um, I was like, well, will it work with my devices? And the answer is maybe. So when you say devices, you mean like your iPad or something like that? Correct. So okay. Anything. Yeah. So not, so not an AirTag, essentially. Right. Right. Okay. Yeah, because so you have two categories of things in Find My, or actually three categories. So there's people, devices, and items. So items are things that are AirTagged. Devices are your various computing devices. Yeah. Um, this feature can be used with devices that have a cellular radio, which in my case is my phone right. and my iPad. And so what I did is I brought my iPad with me on the road and I got the same alert saying, hey, your, your iPad's not home anymore. Um, uh, here's the bad news. Okay. It does not work with Wi-Fi devices, which is kind of annoying. If you try to configure the feature, it'll just say not available. Right, right. Huh. But yeah. here's the weird thing, Dave, is that because... The device still knows where you are. Like I have an iPod touch, even on Wi-Fi, it knows where I am. It does some rudimentary geocoding um, or like if I go to maps and I'm running my iPod touch and it's on Wi-Fi, it'll show me where I am. Right. So the capability right. is right. there. Now, I, I don't know why they excluded Wi-Fi only devices. I wonder, I mean, if it's not granular enough, <sighs> that could be it right if they did um, some testing and was like oh wait this is a disaster like this is going to notify people people are going to get notification blindness that's bad you know just don't let it happen well and you know i think uh, you're probably right on that so at one point i used the uh strava program yeah um to map my bike rides yeah but i tried to run it on my ipod touch <laughs> and it was funny for the most part it showed my path but like at one point it showed me like jumping across a lake right because there oh, was no wi-fi you so might have grabbed extrapolated yeah and then yeah, when yeah. when i got wi-fi again it's like oh now you're here okay i'll draw a line between the two of them so yeah it's probably that whatever it, it, yeah it, it usually works for maps if they know about the access point but that makes sense that makes sense yeah 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 okay okay yeah yeah but any cool. feature, so so if I wanted to know if somebody walked off with my iPad, then this would, would work. Right. So yet another reason to get a cellular radio in your iPad. Yes. I, uh, yeah, thanks for reminding us. Right? I mean, like, that's yet another one. I like it. That's good. Mm -hmm. That's good. Cool. All right. Well, we still have time uh, here. So let's jump to some questions, shall we? Is there, did you have more on that one, John? Um, I don't think there was anything really iOS 15 like, I mean, they changed Safari in that as well, though. It wasn't as traumatic as I would think. So I'm, I gotta say, I'm really liking the, uh, having the URL bar at the bottom of my, uh, of, of my iPhone, you know, on iOS 15, it was jarring at first, as we discussed, you know, well, that was the thing, yeah. the beta. Yeah. But it, I like it. I, like having my having the place where I am going to type be right yes. above where my thumb is like that's freaking amazing. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And being able to swipe to different tabs. Right. That's all. If you haven't tried that yet um, mm -hmm. uh, on iOS 15, 
just grab the URL bar at the bottom there and and just swipe it kind of like you would to change apps with the, you know, the the home bar. I don't know. I guess that's what we're supposed to call it. But um, but, yeah, you can swipe left or right. If you're at the end, it'll offer to add a new one for you. And uh, which is a handy way. Actually, wow, that's a quick tip. I never even thought of that. If you want to go to a, a fresh browser window on iOS 15, just swipe the tab. If you're on the, you know, the final tab, the rightmost tab, swipe that to the left and then boom, you get the plus sign. You're right there. That's a good quick tip. I like this. I got to I got to bake that into my muscle memory now. OK, <laughs> OK. Uh, yeah. Lots of 15s. It's good. All right. Yeah. yeah. Well. We're going to oh. talk about another iOS 15 feature. I think we are. Yeah. You want to take us to Brent? Though uh, I, I would say this maybe is uncool stuff found. Um, <laughs> so Brent says, like everyone, I just updated my iPhone 12 Pro to iOS 15. I'm also into photography and tend to save my edited JPEGs to my iCloud drive desktop on my Mac, which syncs with this iPhone. I just noticed that certain JPEGs that I try to open from iCloud drive on my iPhone will open the photo, but then almost immediately disappear and reappear rapidly for the for a few seconds. And then I will see the live text button flash too. And then it seems to give up and just show the text title of the JPEG rather than the actual image. <sighs> Not quite sure what's going on. Figure it's live text related. Not sure if it can't quite figure out that there's no text in certain photos. From what I can see, there's not a way to turn off your li- uh, turn off live text to test if that's what's causing it. Um, so if you have dry iOS 15, they added a new feature that will basically OCR the text in your photos. Um, and I tried it with one of mine, and it works great. You just you know you tap and you get you know options as if it was text, you know, copy or select all or whatever. So it's a pretty neat feature. Um, that they, you know, just like quietly slid in there. Yeah. <laughs> Good news, bad news. The thing is you can disable it, Dave. So I whip, I, I got my Google Foo going. Um, and I did find an article, iOS 15, how to completely disable live text on iPhone and iPad. And uh, in summary, settings, general, language and region, live text. Oh, Turn it wow. Off. Oh, nice find. Wow. Okay. Yeah. Um, here's good news, bad news. The good news is that you can turn it off. And I, I think he did get back to me and confirmed that, uh, yes, that is the problem. Yeah. So Apple's got a wee little bug um, in their implementation, I guess. Huh. They, I, I'm seeing in this article that you have the ability to turn it off separately, individually, for both the um, photos and or in language and region, but then also separately for the camera. So if you want it on in the camera, but not in the other place, well, then you can you can actually do that. It's I mean, it's a little funky, but um, but, I, you know, I can see where you might want one and not the other. So, yeah. Cool. All right. Moving on. Uh, speaking of bugs, I think we got another one here. OK, so our friend Pat Patrick sent us a video but i'm going to summarize what happens um so basically he's in mail app he goes to the to field he starts typing something and then it'll attempt to auto match to uh similar um emails that begin with whatever you start typing and i watched the video and it absolutely happens so he wanted to 
it um it selected one name and he's like no i don't want that one so he clicked on another one uh, in the list it shows you a list of possibilities yes. right yep yep right and it selected one and he's like no i don't want that one so he uh clicked on another one and what did it do it put the one that he originally highlighted um Oh, so it, 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 in the it, field it, instead. it went it with its original guess. It ignored his click. Oh, huh. If he used the arrow keys to scroll up and down in that list, that worked. Yeah, I, I have seen this. Um, there is in the latest build of Monterey, the latest beta build of Monterey, even choosing it with the arrow keys, like it works, but it doesn't get the like it it once it shows you the list the list never changes even if you keep typing like after a certain point there's something weird hopefully they'll, they'll fix that i've reported it um but yeah i have i've seen this i i guess i if i'm typing I'm, my guess is that most apple engineers and therefore this is the reason that it hasn't been fixed yet is if you're typing an email address you're right there on the keyboard, so you're just going to go to the arrow keys and go down and select it and move on, and it works great, and everything's good. Uh, jumping to the mouse is a different workflow, and quite frankly, one that I find you know less efficient. So my guess is most people just don't do that, which is why it's not happening. So this is a um, – you're absolutely right, Patrick, and you're holding it wrong scenario. <laughs> so, Yeah. Yeah, report it to Apple, see what happens. Yeah, in fact, you know what? I have my Monterey Mac right here. Let me um let me see if this issue still happens in Monterey. Do I have mail open in Monterey? I don't. Uh, oh, one thing that I confirmed, this is the reason that mail's not open. I wanted to see, you know, how we've talked about that our uh, Macs, you know, we have our Macs set to reboot. We went into Energy Saver and set them to reboot once a week so that they, you know, don't get wonky. Uh I wondered because I noticed last night that my laptop was at like was being a little wonky and it was at many days uptime or something. And I'm like, wait, I want to see, does it work? Even if it's not plugged in, even if it's folded up, closed in clamshell mode. And it absolutely does. So you go in and schedule it. And, you know, I have it now restart every Friday at 418 a.m. And uh, now I do have uh, file vault enabled on my laptop, so it doesn't just restart and bring everything back up. It restarts to the point where it has to ask me for my, uh, you know, my password to, to let it back in, but that's just how that works. All right. So here I am in mail in Monterey. I start typing. Uh, oh, I see my muscle memory is already there. Uh, I started using my fingers. So now I go and do this. Ah, it works. It is fixed in Monterey, Patrick. Oh. Good news. Yes. All right, so they're working on it. They're they they got you, man. Mm -hmm. So that's good, or at least in the current beta of Monterey. I can't uh, speak to what the release will have. Obviously, it's not not my decision. Uh, while we're on the subject of mail, listener Ollie had uh, has an issue. He says uh, I use Apple Mail and uh, recently got a new position, so I changed my signature for my emails. All went well for a few days, and then it changed back. I changed it several times since and even added a new signature, but it always changes back after a few days and removes the new ones. How do I fix this and stop getting caught? So mail signatures are one of those things that are synced with iCloud. And so if it keeps coming back, 
this tells me that there is an iCloud issue uh, and a syncing issue. And the way to solve those is to go to another device, try editing them on a different Mac and see if you can make a change over there. Clearly, something is causing iCloud to say, I know the truth and that computer is wrong. Let me fix it. And you need to convince iCloud that that truth is the actual truth. And sometimes it just means going to a different Mac and uh, and trying it that way. So hopefully you have a second Mac connected to iCloud. I don't think you can edit the same signatures in iOS, right? I mean, they there are signatures there. Maybe they maybe they sync. You know what? Let me. Uh, I don't think they do though. Uh, let me look at David Nerd Fastmail. Okay, great. Advanced. No, no signatures on iPhone are still disaster. It's no, no bueno. It should be, but um, it's not there. Yeah, it's different. Okay, uh, I was hopeful that they maybe changed that in iOS 15, and I had missed it. They have not. So you uh, try this on another Mac, right? Could you do it in iCloud? Um, are those signatures available in iCloud.com slash mail? I don't think they would be uh, because not all mail is iCloud, right? And so it really is just syncing Mac to Mac. Um, you could, huh? If you go in, so this is going to get, this is going to get ugly real fast, but if you go into home library on your Mac and go into mail and then go into the V8 folder, assuming you're on Big Sur. Uh, in the mail data folder there, you will see a signatures folder. And within that, you will see lots and lots of little mail signature files and then also uh, accounts map and all signatures. You could try taking everything, like, Make a zip file, zip folder, you know, compress this so that it is saved and untouchable or mostly untouchable and put it somewhere else and then quit mail and erase this folder, bring it back in, see what it brings in. And then maybe you can make a change and it will, you know, actually push that change through. But keep your backups because could, things could get ugly real fast. So hopefully you have another Mac and you can just make a change there and that will cause things. I don't know. What do you think, John? Uh, nuke and pave. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, this is like a very, very, you know, targeted nuke and pave. Right. So, yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. 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 I mean, yeah. I mean, yeah, I was going to say the other way you could do it is just go into your signatures and copy each of them out and paste it into a text edit document so that you actually have them in text form that mm -hmm. you could simply paste back in. And that might also help. So, yeah, signatures are one of those weird things. Oh, they get wonky. I've had signature syncing problems in the past. And um, it's, it, it's like anything with iCloud, right? Like when it works, mm -hmm. it's just fantastic. And then when it doesn't work, getting iCloud to reset its syncing is super difficult. So, right, right. And speaking of wonky, Dave. Yes, sir. Let's let's go to Andrew and maybe prevent some wonkiness. All right. I'm in. Right. Sure. All right. Um, Andrew says. I recall, but cannot confirm the time machine backup external SSD should be formatted as APFS case sensitive. Is this correct? And if not, what is the optimal formatting for an external SSD? Um, well, Dave, let's ask Apple. 
Okay. You know what Apple says in their support article called types of disks you can use with Time Machine on Mac? Yeah. Um, their recommendation is APFS or APFS encrypted. Okay. Uh, they mentioned some other ones like Mac OS extended, Mac OS extended case sensitive. Yep. And Xan. Um, and they mentioned a few other things like don't use SMB. <laughs> so, uh, to prevent, I don't know, anytime I hear case sensitive, it, it, what immediately follows is usually a, a problem. <laughs> Do you have a time machine, a direct attached time machine drive? Uh, yes. And I formatted them as APFS. So. Check what it is. My guess is that it is now case sensitive uh, because I, I'm pretty hmm. sure when Time Machine grabs hold of a volume to use for Time Machine, it makes it case sensitive. I think that's a pretty hmm. normal thing. It can take anything, but I'm pretty sure it turns it into case sensitive. Um, and that was one of Andrew's follow ups was he was like, OK, he's like, because I noticed that my external SSD that I use for Time Machine is formatted as APFS case sensitive. And I know that I never did this, but I'm pretty sure. And this has gone back even to the HFS plus days that time machine always wanted to be um, case sensitive. Uh, looking at my direct connected, but not mounted, but shouldn't need to. So I'm looking in. No, you'd have to mount it to see what the volume is, right? Well, no, I mean, it shows them to me anyways. Oh, okay. Oh yeah. 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 But here's SanDisk SSD. Yeah. Um, GUID partition map. Then I go to the container type APFS. But I manually formatted my drives. Huh. Before I, I tied them to time machine. Interesting. So maybe that's why. I don't know. Interesting. What happens if you mount it? Like, I'm just curious if it like mm -hmm. if when you mount it, it shows up as case sensitive. Because I really I thought that was just a thing. I had some some memory somewhere that that um i don't have okay. any direct attached time machine volume so i i cannot apfs system volume apfs data volume container now it says apfs container wait you wouldn't have a system volume and a data volume for time machine is this time machine or carbon copy cloner oh i'm sorry carbon carbon copy cloner totally different app yep, right yep, yep. so we're talking yeah, about time it. machine here yeah mm -hmm. time machine i'm pretty sure will will make direct attached volumes case sensitive okay yeah you may be right yeah <laughs> it always has and and it seems like even with apfs that's still the case so yeah because time machine would not do a a system volume backup right like it's not doing a clone it's right, just right. backing up your data yeah so yeah i think that's pretty normal andrew i don't think i don't think you've got anything to worry about um I, but I would like you, John, I would start with what Apple recommends, which is just mm -hmm. straight up APFS and let it do whatever it's going to do to that volume because it's going to do whatever mm -hmm. it wants anyway. So, but yeah, I wouldn't start with case sensitive uh, just in case there's ever a change. But, um, mm -hmm. but yeah, for now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. All right. Where are we here? What do we have left? Uh, you want to take us to Andrew, John? I like that one like it a lot i know i'm jumping around the agenda i'm mixing things up calling audibles left and right that's how it's gonna be 
All right. Uh, Andrew says, hey, John and Dave, I almost got caught and have a solution. I was filing away some text documents and PDFs from my desktop into subfolders that created for such things like that on my startup drive. However, I run a clone of my startup drive to an external SSD using carbon copy cloner every day. And being a good Mac, my machine automatically indexes the external SSD. I then use Spotlight to find the folders I was looking for instead of first navigating to the folder directly. That's why I got caught. Spotlight found the folder on my cloned external SSD. I then copied the files over to it, which is no bueno, because the next day those files would have been deleted because they were not on the source volume anymore. Yeah. Um, the tip-off is is as easy to fix this problem. Open System Preferences, Spotlight, choose the Privacy tab, and include any clone drives or other drives that might cause this issue. Of course, you won't be able to use Spotlight to search those volumes but that's fine in this case. I suppose I could have used CCC's safety net feature, but that is just a fail-safe, and I prefer not to. Um, yeah, and I've, I've run into this in the past. Um, here's how you can avoid this. Uh, unless you're actively doing a backup, I don't think you want your clone drive to be mounted. Um, so I find... Telling uh, So what I do on both my machines is as soon as Carbon Copy Cloner is done, I go to, um, they have a, a post-flight section. So I go to post-flight, destination volume, unmount the destination volume. So it'll kick the drive out as soon as it's done. Um, I, smart. I, I think that's really smart. I um, It, it should be default, uh, in my humble opinion. I, I just, the, the potential for disaster by leaving the clone drive there. Um, I don't think the Mac's ever really happy about that. No, it's not. It, yeah, remember, a clone is not something a Mac is used to seeing, right? We just talked about that. Like, we had Time Machine versus a clone. That's not part of Apple's thing. And, in fact, we're seeing Apple catering to that less and less, right? And, it, like, we are entering a world where clones... Apple doesn't seem to think they're necessary and is even making it more and more difficult to do them. So we may be a year or two from now, we might be like, yeah, we're not doing clones anymore. Uh, I will say this. I agree with you 100 percent and I have carbon copy cloner ejected, but I also want it ejected before carbon copy cloner runs the first time after reboot. And my drives always want to mount at boot up. So mm -hmm. I wrote a little Apple script. And in my Apple script, and I will put the text of this Apple script in my uh, in the show notes just so you have it. But I have it. I have this Apple script in my login items so that it fires up every time my Mac oh, starts up. I should do this. Yeah. yeah. And so the, the Apple script is is four lines. It is delay and then 15. So I do de a 15 second delay uh, just so, you know, the other things can like settle. And then the script runs. And then I do I, I, the next line is try, because if it fails, you don't want it to like, you know, catastrophically like interrupt you. And then it's do shell script. And the shell script is a disk util unmount command. And it's really just disk util unmount and then the path to the volume. And so I, I'll put an example of a volume drive name. But what oh, you're doing is is looking for dash clone or, you know, whatever the clone's name is. And then the fourth line is simply end try. So the, the shell script line is in the middle of in between try and end try. So that you've got this little thing sandwiched in there and it's fantastic. So the, the script will be in the show notes. You can edit it to your heart's delight and then you just save it in script editor as an application so that it can run natively. 
uh, you know, without needing to like run script editor and click the run button uh, runs as an application. And then I, I, I have them synced to all my Macs, but obviously I have to change it for each Mac. And so I just have a bunch of them, but I just edit it and, um, and that's it. So yeah, it's awesome. It's, 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 there are other solutions for this. And I know we're going to get emails about other ways of unmounting a drive, but, um, but you know, that's, uh, that's my way. So there you go. Yeah. Uh, as a bonus tip. Yeah, man. If in spotlight you find something and you want to know where it is, hold down the command key. Really? That I didn't shows, know that. Yeah, try it. Uh, It'll show the full path to the file that is highlighted. Really? So, so that could also save you. All right. Uh, documents. So I... Oh, I have to highlight it. So I have to like go down with the thing and then highlight. Okay. Oh, look at that. I love this show. I learn so much every time I listen. Man, this is great. Look at that. Huh. And you know. So, so that could have helped in this case. Yeah, for sure. What's interesting is like a documents icon. When I do that, I have a CSV document, right? And when I highlight, when I hold down the command key, the, the icon changes from, like, the little text thing to the finder. Hmm. But clicking it doesn't, like, I thought maybe it would reveal it in the finder. I can't find a way to do that. No pun intended. All right. Well, now we've learned way more than our five things. So we got to get out of here before, uh, before we get ourselves into trouble, I think, John. Fun stuff. That's a great tip, man. It's good. How did you learn that one? I guess it's always my question with these things. It's like, how do you find it? Right. I think I probably just accidentally hit the command key when I was in spotlight. I'm like, oh, look at that. Something really? something happened. <laughs> it's freaking brilliant. I love it. Love it. Oh, man. All right. Uh, that's what we got for today. Thanks for hanging out with us. Thanks for subscribing. Make sure you are subscribed to the show so that you get the episodes in your podcatcher of choice. Of course, you can go to MacGeekGab.com. We try to make it super easy for you. Subscribe to the email, too, so that you get the show notes. We go nuts with the show notes every week, folks. We put all the links in there and more. And then also, in your podcatcher, like while you're listening, we chapterize everything. So we put timestamps in front of stuff. So if we're in a segment that you're not interested in, like right now, if you just want to get to the end of the show, you can skip to the end of the show. But also, if you want to go back to the previous segment and hear John's great tip again, you just go back. It's, seriously, try it. It's going to change your life. Try it for me, mm -hmm. just once. We talked about doing a lot of different things in this episode because of iOS 15. This is something that's been there for a decade plus. In fact, more than a more than a plus, like almost two decades. <laughs> but it's really a cool thing. So uh, yeah, check it out. Check out those chapters. We we slave over them. We make sure that we get them in there and we get them right. So. All right, folks, thanks for hanging out. Thanks for listening. Make sure you check out our sponsors, getquip.com slash MGG. Otherworld Computing, of course, at maxsales.com. You can go to macgeekup.com slash sponsors if uh, you want to see everything there. That's all I got. You got anything else for him, John? Do I? Clock's ticking. No, I mean, you got us into this. I did. Well, I'm going to get us out of this. Way that I get us out of this place. Everyone should not get caught. Made up.